from Los Angeles. Next, Rethinking Heroes. On this anniversary of the JFK assassination, new generations of Americans are demanding new answers. Decades have passed and the impossible remains the official story. We're going to speak with an investigative author who has spent years deep diving into this research. Plus, we're going to hear insider perspective from the actual girlfriend of Lee Harvey Oswald in an extremely rare and exclusive appearance that she says definitively answers the question, who did kill JFK? It's next on Rethinking Heroes. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. Wow, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh-oh, with me, Carrie Harrison, as your guide. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. And it is Rethinking Heroes, Carrie Harrison here with you. Well, whether you're 15 or 75, the mysterious assassination of President John F. Kennedy and the conspiracy theories surrounding it, particularly those implicating former President Lyndon B. Johnson and Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, they've been the subject of films by both friends to the show, like Oliver Stone, along with dozens and dozens of books on the subject. Coming up, we're going to talk to an investigative reporter and an author whose comprehensive exploration of a conversation between President Lyndon B. Johnson and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover on the so-called evidence on the theory of JFK's assassination involving multiple shooters. The details initially hidden in the veiled dialogue between the two high-ranking officials were privately acknowledging the possibility of multiple shooters, contrary to the official narrative portraying Lee, Oswe- Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald as the lone gunman. Russ Baker's series of articles note the discrepancy between the government's public stance and private findings, suggesting a proposal, purposive, purposeful, that's hell, what word do you like for that? Let's say purposeful, distortion of public perception. That would be an elegant way of saying, as Winston Churchill once put it, a terminological inexactitude. Uh, the famous journalist I.F. Stone famously also said, all governments lie. By the way, if you found one that actually doesn't, please let us know on social media, keyword Rethinking Heroes, and you and I will definitely talk. In short, Mr. Baker and his colleagues suggest that the assassination could have been a domestically planned covert operation rather than foreign subversion or the actions of a lone disgruntled individual. The conversations alone between then-President Lyndon Johnson and former FBI director and famous cross-dresser J. Edgar Hoover overtly and agreeably talk about the second shot. For a single-shot lone gunman, this is the smoking gun of recorded truth, it turns out. It's also one of the reasons we keep archives of our government leaders so that even if it's 60 years later, we might find some truth in the endless circus from above, and for which we always receive both the headache and the tax bill. If you were alive during the assassination of President Kennedy, it was one of the most devastating events in a century. Surprisingly, it was not a federally illegal crime to murder the president at the time. And so at the time, it was simply a local police matter handled by the Dallas cops. They're done with controlled FBI support. 
And we all know the story of the uh, lone Lee Harvey Oswald way up high in the book repository, firing a single shot, as in only one bullet, a single lone bullet, which was so brilliantly well-aimed that even a special forces sniper could not have made the shot 60 years later with laser-assisted weaponry. So amazing was this shot that the bullet went through leather, ricocheted, tore through another man's back, some cloth, ricocheted again, bounced, went through more flesh, more leather, ricocheting again and again and again until perfectly tearing partially through and across the back of the governor in the front seat. But that wasn't enough for the bullet. It became more focused and determined, gnashing its Bullet-like teeth, determined and fierce, deciding suddenly to bore through the passenger seat in order to ricochet one more time somewhere off the back of a convertible Cadillac and then brilliantly recalibrate itself, reverse its inertia, violate 17 laws of physics, miraculously spinning, reshaping itself from a flat slug back into a sharp, pointy bullet, then rethinking its route now finally wound up to the most perfect velocity and speed, spinning and whirling and endlessly self-correcting, even increasing its own speed and power, as bullets are known to do after passing through leather and human body parts. This never-before-seen, extraordinary, precise post-ricochet act-of-God bullet performed a maneuver that no one less than the powerful Zeus himself could command. The bullet then aims itself with such force right into the back of the president's head that it tears through, the, through both his neck and skull. And all this while in a moving open-air convertible, a marksmanship miracle combined with several layers of never-before-thought-of quantic physics and Marvel Comics-level prestidigitation, all in the era before color TV, FM radios, and self-flushing urinals. Hell, the Internet wouldn't even be invented for another 30 years. And there he was, Lee Harvey Oswald, gloating at this magnificent achievement, leaning back in his chair, sucking on a toothpick, remembering all the hookers in Japan and the CIA paychecks he had enjoyed cashing. My God. <laughs> Even the BBC ran a story about Paul Landis, an 88-year-old former Secret Service agent who witnessed the president's death at close range, Mr. Landis's upcoming memoir, says that he picked up another bullet from the car after Mr. Kennedy was shot and then left it on the former president's stretcher at the hospital for evidence. Well, it clearly rolled off and was ignored, as bullets often are, especially when stepped on or slipped on by surgeons in the operating room. Or, as you'll hear later, snatched off by one of Hoover's henchmen. Coming up. So what are we going to learn? We're going to learn that the instant replacement president, Lyndon Johnson, and the FBI had specifically and uncontroversially collected yet a third bullet. All this new knowledge, thanks to investigative journalist Russ Baker, who is also editor-in-chief of WhoWhatWhy.com, and he's going to be with us in just a moment. He is actually in Dallas right now at a conference where they are discussing this further. These kind of ridiculous stories, these kinds of single-handed moments that cannot be explained by nature, by science, even by politicians or Supreme Court justices. Walter Cronkite at the time famously 
went on the air and described the Warren uh, uh, Commission and then pointed out that the American public still had questions, real questions like, why? Why would you assassinate John F. Kennedy? Well, he had done many things. Uh, The Bay of Pigs blunder that the CIA pulled off, CIA being the largest single black ops organization still in the United States, has enormous budgets that you and I can't even begin to fathom. Well, JFK said he was going to blow them up and scatter them into a million pieces right into the wind. Not the right thing to say when something is that huge and sucking on the public teeth. Russ Baker is one of our Rethinking Heroes. He's editor-in-chief of whowhatwhy.org, a global nonprofit news organization committed to reporting without corporate pressure, political agenda, or a PAC mentality. Their work involves digging deep for meaningful answers with responsible fearlessness, identifying the players, evaluating the facts, and revealing the often surprising context and hidden consequences of critical issues that are underreported, underlooked, or misrepresented. Russ Baker, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Uh, Hey, Terry, great to be here. Uh, The last time we saw each other had to be at least 10 years ago. You had written a girthy tome all about uh, Bush family fortunes and uh, revealed, I mean, just horrifying stuff. If anyone has ever heard of World War II, like most of the people on Earth, and they've wondered, well, how did it, much of it get funded and paid for? Well, you did that heavy work, and uh, you certainly brought that to the public. And maybe we could talk about that at another time, but I just want to thank you for that hard work, knowing, having seen your work, what we're about to talk to next is well-sourced. Uh, Russ Baker and President Lyndon B. Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover's private conversation, Hoover explains to Johnson, and I quote, the third shot is a complete bullet. And that rolled out of the president's head. It tore a large part of the president's head off. And in trying to massage his heart at the hospital, on the way to the hospital, they apparently loosened that and it fell onto the stretcher. And we recovered that and we have that, said J. Edgar Hoover. This uh, really buggers the single shooter theory of JFK's assassination, in my opinion. Uh, It seems to, certainly. Uh, That's such an interesting conversation. And it's kind of amazing that uh, that transcript has not gotten any attention uh, over the years. Of course, there are a lot of things for people to look at. But there's Hoover and new President Johnson talking about the assassination some days later. And Johnson's asking him questions uh, about the investigation. And, uh, well, there's several things he says in there. But certainly one of them is that the uh, that this bullet uh, fell out of the head. Um, it's 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 a little bit complicated because uh, the uh, uh, there's a there's a Secret Service agent who has recently released a book and he says that he uh, actually found that bullet he found a whole bullet he says uh, on the back on top of the seat behind where Kennedy uh, John Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy were sitting uh, and that that bullet had landed there and had remained there when the car pulled in at Parkland Hospital. He found this bullet, but of course they were with a president who had been seriously wounded and he had to race in with them. So he saw the bullet. He says he grabbed it, put it in his pocket. He claims he was traumatized by the whole thing so much so that six months later he resigned from the Secret Service. Uh, he says he had put it in his pocket and when he got inside that he put it on the president's stretcher. 
Uh, of course, that's an interesting statement, but it, it does track somewhat with what Hoover is telling Johnson, which is basically he says that at some point, and you, as you said, he says at the hospital, and then he corrects himself. He says on the way to the hospital uh, that they were uh, massaging Kennedy and that this bullet somehow fell out. Well, it fell out of the back of his head. Now, that's an interesting issue because, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if, if it fell out, uh, did that mean that it came from the back, which is where uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was ostensibly shooting from? Um, I also want to point out that in that conversation, uh, they uh, uh, Hoover and Johnson refer to the shooters. They refer, they say they were shooting. Uh, they keep saying they, which is an interesting to say days after you've identified Oswald as the lone assassin working alone. And Oswald, of course, had been uh, silenced, uh, murdered by Jack Ruby. I'm just going to reintroduce you again. We're talking right now to Russ Baker. Uh, Russ Baker is a uh, editor in chief of whowhatwhy.org. Whowhatwhy.org. If you ever studied journalism, and there might be three or four people still left on Earth uh, who haven't followed the Kardashians and think that is actually the news, uh, who, what, why is what they're taught in journalism school. If you answer those three questions, you've probably done a fairly decent article. Now add some words around it and make it smart and give it context. That's why it's got that clever name, who, what, why.org. And it's a global nonprofit news organization. And they're committed to reporting without corporate pressure, without political agenda or that pack mentality that uh, so many of us are familiar with. Let's take a look, Russ Baker, at how your articles describe the creation and objective of the Warren Commission, named after Chief Justice Warren of the time, who was a well-liked, lauded, uh, stand-up kind of guy, not controversial per se. Uh, some people hearing on Spotify or Apple might have never heard of the Warren Commission, maybe not even of the Supreme Court, uh, but they were brought in to do something big, and that something big is the same story we hear today, a single bullet ricocheting, bouncing, recapturing its own speed, doing magic tricks, and there it is. The Warren Commission said it's done, it's official. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because, of course, if you uh, read, I suppose, Wikipedia and most things, uh, it'll just say the Warren Commission investigated uh, Kennedy's death, but in fact they didn't. Uh, uh, what uh, what happened was Johnson, uh, who of course was vice president under Kennedy, became president at the time, uh, told everybody that they needed to wrap this thing up, that they needed to convince the public that uh, the man who had been arrested and charged, Oswald had done it, and that there was nothing more to it. That was the entire mission of the uh unified forces in the federal government, not to find out what really happened, but to convince the public that this had all been correctly resolved. And so uh, what they did was the uh, Deputy Attorney General Katzenbach uh, issued a memo that said as much. It said it is critical that we convince the public that Oswald did it. He actually says that in the memo. We have the memo. And so then uh, uh, Johnson uh, strong arms a number of people, including the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren, who doesn't want to do it, to form this commission. Uh, and he says, you have to do this, and we have to convince the public that we're above board and everything's been done. And J. Edgar Hoover uh, had already uh, decided within days that the whole thing was solved, and he leaked that. 
And so that was already leaked to the media that had all been investigated and solved and it was done. And so that was even before the Warren Commission started. Now, the Warren Commission was told that they had to they didn't have their own investigators. They had to rely entirely on the FBI. So here you have an outfit that already announced they've solved the thing. And they're the ones that the Warren Commission has to rely on. So all those months of hearings and so forth were basically uh, interviewing people who'd already pretty much been interviewed by the FBI. All the stories had been people had been told what to say and what not to say. And and actually, uh, and in my book, Family of Secrets, my past book, I go into some of the amazing uh, 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 transcripts of these of these interviews, uh, of these hearings where members of the staff are interviewing people who have very interesting things to say, but they clearly do not want to hear it. And so somebody will start saying something and they'll just cut them off and uh, go on to another topic. And so you can see that it's not really an investigation at all. It's for the very clear purpose of documenting this official story. So that sort of begs the next question, Russ Baker, and and you can't know, and I can't know, but I recall hearing audio of uh, Lyndon Johnson on the phone talking to different people that would end up in the Warren Commission. It's not like the condo board where you put in your name for it and you say, oh, please pick me. This is like so cool. This is different. Nobody wanted to be on it. And he's, they're all being threatened by Lyndon Baines Johnson. You're going to be on this. Oh, I'm sorry. I've already announced it to the press. You're part of the Warren Commission. What? Yeah, I mean, really, just railroading these people in. So the outcome was predetermined by uh, Lyndon Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover. And so you're right. They wanted to wrap it up. Which means, what is, who knows, but what exactly is their passion to make this all go away, put it on Lee Harvey Oswald, and now we have a new president who enjoyed that, by the way, being the new president? Well, you know, there were a lot of different motivations, but I would say primarily you have to look at self-preservation. That's the most natural explanation for why people do what they do with the exceptions of heroic, you know, whistleblowers who really risk everything to tell the truth and so on. But most people, it's self-preservation. And so um, Johnson uh, had been putting out the word early on, you know, there was all this stuff, this legend around Oswald that was being pushed out within hours uh, of the assassination that he was a leftist, that he had lived in the Soviet Union, uh, all that he had subscribed to, you know, the militant, uh, all these, you know, Trotskyite newspapers and so forth. All of this stuff was to paint him in a particular light. And uh, uh, there were efforts actually to suggest that there were some foreign powers involved behind Oswald and uh, both uh, Moscow and, and Havana. And so they already were pushing this out. So Johnson very cleverly went to all these people and said, listen, I don't know who's behind this thing, but, you know, they're saying that it might have been uh, it might have been Russia. And if so, uh, you know, the U.S. has the basis to then basically attack Russia. And and he says to one of his people on the plane, I wonder if the missiles are already flying. In other words, that the military could have already taken retaliatory action. And so he's putting out this story to people throughout the government that if we're not careful, uh, we may be in World War III here. So I don't know what this is all about, but we got this guy Oswald 
and we got the gun and let's wrap this thing up. And everybody's like, holy cow, you know, we better wrap this thing up. And, and also, uh, and this is much more involved, uh, would take a long time to explain, but the way in which this whole thing, I believe was engineered was to, uh, implicate many different institutions and many different individuals in various ways. In other words, Oswald himself, when he was brought back from the Soviet Union, was put into contact with the CIA, the FBI, uh, all these different agencies. Uh, He had contact with them. And uh, if that were ever to come out, they would all struggle to explain how it was that they had any contact with this man who killed the president. And, and gave him visas, to- by the way, issued him visas yeah. to go to Russia, issued him visas to go to Cuba. In the second part of this show, we're, we've got the former girlfriend of Lee Harvey Oswald, who is making a rare appearance and is going to reveal much of this stuff exactly to your point. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. Rethinking heroes. Attention, men. Here's a great way to have more fun in bed and save money. If you want to take something like Viagra, well, they can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill. Yep, $2 a pill. Compare that to prices as high as $60 per tablet. These pills work for us to improve our performance and confidence, and you're going to love them. And now for the price of two or three pills, you can get 50 or more pills for around 100 bucks. You're going to save hundreds of dollars off of retail prices, and that's enough to buy your date a nice dinner. Don't pay expensive prices for Viagra. Call now and order 50 or more of our blue pills and pay as little as $2 a pill. Save hundreds of dollars. Call Steelman Pills now for confidential shipping. 800-814-5031. So let's jump into Russ Baker, how your articles speak about a, uh, or at least hint at a homegrown conspiracy with multiple parts and participants in JFK's assassination. Now, I mean, the first thing you have, when, when that starts sounding impossible, the first thing you have to say is, well, what do we know about what the CIA was doing for uh, a good decade prior? What they were doing was they were very carefully engineering the removal of elected leaders around the world, some of whom died, some of whom were just removed, uh, but they were masters at this. And they planned these things out way in advance. They controlled the media. They controlled the narrative. Uh, they uh, had deniability. They had uh, third parties everywhere to do the actual work who everything was compartmentalized. It's all documented. So we already know that the capability and the history for this kind of thing existed. The only real question here is, can we consider the possibility that this would have ever been done on domestic soil? Uh, and of course, you have to look at not just John F. Kennedy, you have to look at Robert Kennedy Uh, You have to look at Martin Luther King and you have to look at Malcolm X, among others. You also have to look at the shooting of George Wallace, a lot of other figures who uh, were uh, out of uh, favor or were seen as causing problems. So uh, that really is what it comes down to is our our, uh, comfort level or our discomfiture with very, very unpleasant narratives and scenarios. Um, Final question here. As an investigative journalist, Russ Baker, and a well-known author, uh, 
how exactly does a single bullet travel through multiple objects, do backflips, somersaults, rebuild itself from a flattened slug, regain its altitude and speed, and then retarget itself into a perfect high-speed projectile way back in 1962 when we were still flying propeller planes? Uh, well, that was the so-called single bullet theory, also dubbed the magic bullet theory. And this was the problem that the Warren Commission uh, had already decided that there were only so many bullets based on forensics. And therefore, they had a problem where one bullet had to have injured both Kennedy and John Connolly. And John Connolly was injured in multiple spots. Uh, so this, as you say, this bullet had to be kind of a fancy dancer. Uh, and yet somehow this highly improbable thing has been accepted by the establishment from academia to publishing to media uh, to everybody pretty much accepts this thing without really looking at it. Uh, you know, we avert our eyes, but uh, clearly that didn't make sense. Uh, on Who, What, Why, as you know, Gary, we're publishing currently a whole series of articles with new information on the assassination. And another one coming up will be uh, working with a an expert scientific forensics firm uh, has done new work. Uh, with scanning Dealey Plaza, and they have determined that it was literally impossible from where Oswald was said to be for that shot to have hit both of those men. Wow. This stuff is so important because it is the uh, core of who and what we wish our country to be. Uh, I happen to have ancestors who signed the Declaration of Independence, framers of the Constitution. My mother's side, uh, I'm related to Abraham Lincoln and Benedict Arnold. That kind of ruined it all, didn't it? But hey, what are you going to do? But the point is, you know, a lot of us are here and a lot of this kind of smarts in a, in a certain sort of personal way. And we all just want to have like a really decent country. We know it's possible. But there's always a Dick Cheney in the room. There's always a lurker somewhere. And there's just people that uh, overreach. And whoever they are, we need to know about them. Unfortunately, it can take six decades before we find that out. Thank God for you, Russ Baker. And thank God for whowhatwhy.org, where you can go, by the way, and see myriad other stories, things that you won't see that are forbidden to be on CNN and other places. You can find them at whowhatwhy.org. Org, which is a global nonprofit news organization. They're committed to reporting without corporate pressure, without political agenda, or that PAC mentality, a term that now, boy, does it fit after uh, January 6th, right? And Russ's work with whowhatwhy.org involves digging deep for meaningful answers with responsible fearlessness, identifying the players, evaluating the facts, and revealing the often surprising context and hidden consequences of critical issues. Context means why does it relevant to you? What does it mean? Without that, it doesn't matter. It's like giving you a bunch of numbers and data. You need to know why it's relevant. What is the context? What went on around it? All of this stuff, underreported, overlooked, and misrepresented, cleared out, fixed up, and explained easily at whowhatwhy.org. I want to thank you so much, Russ Baker, for having come on with us today here on Rethinking Heroes. Thanks for having me. All right, my friend, straight ahead, an exclusive rare conversation with the surviving girlfriend of Lee Harvey Oswald, whose relationship with the accused assassin was filled with details that definitively answer the question, she says, who did kill JFK? Listen, well, it's still legal. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. If you're a diabetic, we have great news. 
you can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-413-6441. 800-413-6441. That's 800-413-6441. Are you nearly maxed out in your credit cards? It doesn't matter if you're using your credit cards for fun or to survive. At the end of the month, your statements come in. And you can either pay them or you can't. If you can't, late fees and interest rates get tacked on. And now, you're struggling just to make the minimum payment due. Do you feel trapped? Am I talking to you? Good. Because I personally researched some companies that can help you. They may be able to reduce your credit card balances by 50% and stop the late fees. If you qualify, please call our special debt hotline number right now for a complimentary free five-minute consultation deal with your credit card problem now before it gets much worse and put more money back in your pocket trust me i've been there too call right now 800-380-4194 800-380-4194 that's 800-380-4194 Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. And it is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. New website in process. I've seen it. It's hot. Blogs, videos, transcripts, all the cool stuff. So it's coming up in the next couple of weeks, and I'm pretty jazzed about it. Well, next, we're going to hear from the former girlfriend of alleged Kennedy assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald. Her name is Judith Very Baker. She's been living as an expat in Scandinavia for the past 40 years. Miss Baker still passionately defends her ex-boyfriend, Lee Harvey Oswald, the supposed assassin of JFK. Ms. Baker reveals that Oswald was trained by the Office of Naval Intelligence, was later utilized by the CIA, participating in a variety of covert missions, including a plan to assassinate Fidel Castro using a cancer-causing bioweapon that she was working on in New Orleans. Um, boy, there's the, the, that we're going we're gonna to do another show another time on those bioweapons because it is unbelievable. Suffice it to say, that's what she was working on. And all of this is borne out by verified documentation, which is why this moment is so interesting. It also offers one of the big money shot answers to the most asked question, who killed JFK? Ms. Baker suggests there's a strong evidence pointing to JFK's assassination as the result of a conspiracy, primarily orchestrated by the then Vice President Lyndon Baines Johnson. Ms. Baker believes that Johnson was involved in the assassination to avoid corruption charges and secure his role as president. President Johnson was emerging into what might feel like a Trump-level felony mayhem in today's world. So what would take the eye off of that ball and also ensure immunity? Nothing makes someone uh, more corruption untouchable than the official ownership of the captain's chair in the Oval Office, as we all know. Ms. Baker says Oswald was not the assassin and that he was a federal employee who warned the FBI about the assassination plot against President Kennedy, but his warnings were purposely ignored and he was forced to fall on his own sword. 
Judith Ferry Baker was involved in a biological weapons development project to assassinate Fidel Castro using weaponized cancer. Well, she's been covered on the BBC. Her story and Oswald relationship have been banned in the U.S. for 60 years. Ms. Baker met Lee Harvey Oswald in New Orleans, who was involved in the clandestine side of the anti-Castro research project, and says Oswald was on the payroll of both CIA, FBI, and both had unhappy marriages, but fell in love when they were both hired in 1963 at Riley's Coffee Company, which provided agency covered jobs for both of them. Judith Ferry Baker is on a limited mobile connection, so let's jump right into it in case your signal, Judith, drops out. Judith Ferry Baker, people are coming out of the woodwork and supporting what you've been saying when you decided to break your silence back in 1999. And you pointed out that Lee Harvey Oswald actually thwarted an attempt on the Kennedy assassination in Chicago and that Oswald and Kennedy were actually friends. Moreover, and more Secret Service guys are supporting your story every single day, even disproving that the rifle was used. In Chicago, he had been selected by Kennedy. He was the first black Secret Service agent on the Dick Kennedy detail. And he tried to uh, warn, uh, well, basically tried to whistleblow on the Secret Service and he got in prison. They faked um, information against him that he was accepting bribes. Part of the reason they did this is because Abraham, whose book uh, Echo from Dealey Plaza has come out, talks about how he was present when the FBI called the uh, Secret Service and said, look, stand down here in Chicago. Kennedy is not coming. We stopped him from getting on the plane because an informant has told us and uh, that there were our men ready to kill Kennedy and we arrested them. The name of the uh, informant was Lee. And that was Lee Harvey Oswald. Of course, we have many more, much more information has come out ever since uh, me and Lee, the book has come out and people have stepped forward. We've had a tremendous conference, as I said before, and it's been remarkable how many people um, have been afraid to speak out. But the establishment of Lee Oswald as innocent is becoming a fact. And I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled because that man did, uh, 37 and a half hours before the assassination. This man, I, I was an atheist at the time. He was an agnostic. He said, please pray with me. We prayed to our father. He was sure he was going to get killed because he said he'd seen too many faces. They had let him see too much. And they he was under suspicion. He had sent a telex, you see. And the telex, supposedly from Hoover, but it has all kinds of misspellings, like assassinate instead of assassinate and so on. And uh, we have other information, too. Most important, I think, that's in the record is that James Hosty, an FBI agent, said he got a note from Lee Oswald that was full of threats. But he was told right after the assassination to destroy it. Now, if that note was really full of threats, it would have landed right on Hoover's desk. But what it really was, Lee told me that he had sent notes to FBI officers telling them about the impending assassination. So, of course, they had to destroy that. And anyone who really knew Lee, like I did, we can tell who's lying and who's not. Lee never had a rifle, for example. The rifle that they talk about that they said Lee Oswald had, which is Carcano, not a Mannlicher Carcano, that is the ammunition. The, the gun is, uh, the rifle is a Carcano, Italian rifle, the humanitarian rifle, because anybody who had one was likely hurt himself more likely than he would an enemy. 
And Italians will laugh when they hear that that rifle was supposed to have done all this high-tech shooting that they say Lee Oswald did. What's interesting about that rifle, in the National Archives, you can see that the sling, you could carry it by a sling, and the bolts that hold the sling are in the side of the rifle. They're bolted in, the sling mount. Now, in the backyard photos, the sling mount is underneath the rifle. They're two different rifles. You're not going to bore holes again to reset a sling. So we have a lot of material. We're talking right now to the former girlfriend of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, Judith Very Baker. And as a young woman, you were working in a government bio lab to supercharge deadly cancer cells. Uh, as a bioweapon and your boyfriend at the time, Lee Harvey Oswald, was actually working for the government on the same project? Of course he was. He was uh, trained by the Office of Naval Intelligence. He's borrowed by the CIA. He was being paid $200 a month by the CIA as well as $200 a month by the FBI. And we do have some records now to prove that, to establish the fact that he was a servant of our nation. Now, one of the things I'd like to clarify is that when he brought the materials over, he didn't bring them to me. He brought them to be used in the uh, program that was, uh, we had a linear particle accelerator, it was U.S. Public Health Services Infectious Disease Laboratory in New Orleans. And that was run by Dr., well, it was being used by Dr. Mary Sherman and Dr. Oxner. And they had been working about a year before I entered the project. Uh, mutating these uh, various viruses and so on. They had found a virus that could cause uh, cancer to grow at an extraordinary rate. I was fascinated by the, um, well, the, the, the power of this, of this uh, cancer, this particular strain. And um, when they told me they were in a project to try and see if they could kill Castro with it and that this had the sanction of the CIA, CIA had tried everything, and had they used biological weapons before? Yes, they had thought of it at least, because we have an example. They had a diving suit that was filled, laced with botulism, okay, if, uh, but nobody wanted to give the suit to Castro, <laughs> naturally. And Castro was uh, known to scuba dive and, uh, you know, enjoy the reef off of Cuba and such. So finding a place to put uh, these deadly products so that that they would have access to his person uh, would be effective. Uh, Judith Very Baker, Oswald's mission was, in fact, to go to Cuba. Uh, He was even issued a visa by the State Department in a week. (laughs) Dreaded Cuba and then deliver live radiation mutated cancer cells so they could be surreptitiously injected into Castro during say an X-ray or any of the other medical service he was known to routinely uh, receive. Uh, You could put uh, something in there, you wouldn't even see it, Uh, cancer cells. Now if they squirt that out onto a a file, uh, onto a a slide and look at it in the microscope and say, oh my God, I see cancer cells in there. Then they'd stand in before the x-ray again to look for more and they'd turn up the x-ray again. But you see, that would be a technician doing that. It didn't have to even involve a doctor. And that second dose of radiation would make Castro feel quite ill. So then they're going to give him, get, develop a dry cough was the idea. They would give him penicillin shots. But the penicillin shot, to make it more effective and uh, work faster, the idea would be that a doctor would put it in his vein instead of, you know, in his rear end. 
Well, that would really, if that penicillin bottle actually had, was filled with cancer cells with his immune system pulled down, that was the, the basic uh, idea that we had. And we had doctors who were trusted by Castro who were willing to do something like that. You see, those doctors, many of them had been trained by Oxner himself, and now they were cut off from the U.S. Their sons and themselves, they were no longer able to get um, lots of money. It used to be they, they were treating movie stars and, you know, raking in the funds, and now they were on the salaries and they were out, tra you know, taking care of peasants' toenail, uh, ingrown toenails and things. <laughs> so we had motivations. We had contacts. And it was mar remarkable to see how efficient Lee Oswald was at helping to round up Castro's spice because he was sending them all the time. He knew that efforts were being made in, in Miami and in New Orleans to get rid of him. So Lee is pretending to be, um, you know, pro-Castro, also watching over the project because who would guess that someone like him might be interested in um, working in a biological weapons development project? I mean, it seemed the most unlikely person ever. He was there to watch out and make sure the material did not get into the wrong hands. We also have evidence now that he was running uh, radiolytic properties or, or these uh, cancers that had been mutated on purpose by the yeah. linear particle accelerator in order to uh, turn cancer into not only something bad that could kill you in, say, 28 days, running them back and forth between Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is where our Manhattan Project uh, stuff was rendered. So he was actually doing a lot of different stuff. Uh, Judith Very Baker, you are the former girlfriend, surviving girlfriend of Lee Harvey Oswald. You've been in Scandinavia as an expat for about 40 years. Uh, you broke your silence in 1999. BBC did some reports on you. You still are banned, banished, and completely not anywhere in the USA, except here on Rethinking Heroes, because this story on this anniversary of the JFK assassination is part of it, and you were there, and you knew the alleged assassin. You point out that Vice President Johnson ordered the bulletproof bubble to be removed from the Kennedy convertible the Kennedy motorcade, exposing the president on the day of the assassination, removed it in advance. John F. Kennedy also famously talked about blowing up the CIA and scattering it into a million pieces into the wind after the CIA's bungled Bay of Pigs attempt in Cuba. And then, of course, the CIA blamed it on the president. So CIA was then still now the largest invisible government arm in the world. And that threat to the CIA by President John Fitzgerald Kennedy did not go unnoticed. Well, the number one reason is Lyndon Baines Johnson. Johnson, the very day of the assassination, there was a congressional hearing going on, a committee hearing testimony that was given that would have a lot, it would, they would have removed Johnson from his office. They, they would have uh, censored him and they would have um, put criminal charges against him. They, these were serious charges and they, they were based on scandals that Bobby Baker had been involved in. He was front page news. In fact, they had a, they were going to, Life Magazine was going to have a great big section and a, a front page uh, thing about Lyndon Johnson in deep trouble and that he might go to prison. Well, that was canceled, of course, when Kennedy was shot. We have Lyndon Johnson accepting bribes from the mafia. He was uh, involved in bribing others, forcing them to take his ads if he um, 
on his TV station, and he was giving uh, gifts to people. He was accepting gifts, gifts that he should not have been accepting. Some of them worth a great deal of money, but these were direct and completely um, verifiable charges, including, uh, I think, one of the, the uh, involved bar bribes in the hundreds, maybe $100,000. But when they heard that Kennedy was shot, the person, one of the people giving testimony said, look, when he was vice president, I felt okay about this, but forget it. I'm walking out of here now. He's president, you know. That committee was dissolved immediately. We're going to get into the removal of the bubble that was ordered by the vice president at the time and where it all went. As we continue talking with Judith Very Baker, she's on a mobile data stream right now, uh, an expat doing a very unique and for her very risky conversation talking about her ex-boyfriend, Lee Harvey Oswald, here and only here on Rethinking Heroes. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Carrie Harrison with a quick life hack. Just remember this. Call the tax doctor and let their team of experts work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. They know the IRS laws and will fight to save your money. If you owe the IRS a ton of cash and you want to keep it, call right now and learn for free how they can help put it back in your pocket. 800-281-7048. Rethinking Heroes. Life after the military. Attention men, here's a great way to have more fun in bed and save money. If you want to take something like Viagra, well, they can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill. Yep, $2 a pill. Compare that to prices as high as $60 per tablet. These pills work for us to improve our performance and confidence, and you're going to love them. And now for the price of two or three pills, you can get 50 or more pills for around 100 bucks. You're going to save hundreds of dollars off of retail prices, and that's enough to buy your date a nice dinner. Don't pay expensive prices for Viagra. Call now and order 50 or more of our blue pills and pay as little as $2 a pill. Save hundreds of dollars. Call Steelman Pills now for confidential shipping. 800-814-5031. All right, Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, rethinkingheroes.com. We're talking to Judith Very Baker, involved in a biological weapons development project to assassinate Fidel Castro using weaponized cancer. This is back in the 1960s at the universities, funded by the CAA. And while she's been covered on the BBC, her story and Lee, Haas, Lee Harvey Oswald relationship have been banned in the U.S. for over 60 years. Ms. Baker met Lee Harvey Oswald in New Orleans, who was involved also on the clandestine side of the anti-Castro research project and says Oswald was on the payroll of both the CIA and the FBI. Both had unhappy marriages, but fell in love when they were both hired in 1963 and then placed at Riley's Coffee Company, which provided agency cover jobs for both of them. 
Judith Ray Baker, you were about to talk about Vice President Johnson ordering the bulletproof bubble to be removed from John F. Kennedy's motorcade, exposing the president on the day of the assassination. Well, Lyndon Johnson also is on record uh, before his own cabinet. Um, they're meeting and they're disagreeing with him on something. And the press secretary told us to people I know when I know this is true because of other incidents, he stands up and slaps his dick on top of the counter and says, if yours is bigger than mine, then you can go ahead and disagree with me. So this is Lyndon Johnson uh, at his typical gross, you know, self. Well, this this is a man who says through uh, through Moyer, he says, get that damn bubble top off the car unless it's raining cats and dogs. And getting rid of Alan Dulles, got rid of Alan Dulles, forced him eventually to leave the CIA. Alan Dulles is uh, asked, actually uh, delegated by Lyndon Johnson to be the most active member of the Warren Commission. So we have the CIA, former humiliated CIA director that Kennedy kicked out, who's investigating who killed Kennedy. It's not surprising, and it works exactly the same way today. Uh, Judith Ferry Baker, the famous Warren Commission, which we, in the last half hour, really broke down who, what, and where it was. They seem to have done everything it could not to have FBI forensic evidence to look at David Ferry and the mafia involvement or any evidence actually linking uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. This is 1963. Not one word about David Ferry ever reached the Warren Commission. Many, many people were interviewed and were ignored by the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission was formed not to look into anyone else but Lee Oswald. We have John Edgar Hoover had put out a memo because on the 22nd, his FBI agents in Dallas said, look, basically, I'm going to shorten this. I mean, because they, they talked about a group on this one document, but they sent others saying, we had these wanted for treason posters. Shouldn't we find out who put them all over town? I mean, what if they helped shoot? Isn't there anybody else besides Oswald? Hoover wrote back, it's the same day. It's the same day. It's before any of the evidence, like the rifle and the blanket and all the other stuff that they said that Lee Oswald was associated with before it even reached FBI labs to be tested. Hoover wrote back, we have true subjects located. No need to look at anybody else. Lip Johnson, my friends. Yeah, Johnson and Hoover definitely were friends. Uh, let's drill down to something that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, let's finish with the bioweapon you were working on back in the 60s. Uh, everyone has dealt with a pandemic that went worldwide. We all have a heightened awareness of BSL, biosafety level labs all over the world, including Ukraine. We also find out that they're in Wuhan, China. We find out they're everywhere, and these bioweapons are either made at Fort Detrick, Maryland, or uh, certainly at the university level in North Carolina, that there's all of this stuff going on that none of us apparently knew about. You actually discovered under big government budgets that cancer could be cured, but instead they were taking you on purpose in the opposite direction at full steam. By the way, this blood test that I uh, developed, it took 46 years before this blood test actually came upon the scene again. So you can imagine how I feel. 
this blood test can, can determine whether or not you have cancer or not. And I was brought up there. My concern was, I said, look, you tell me that the prisoners have terminal diseases. I said, one of them is supposed to have cancer. That That's the one you're going to inject. It's the only one I was told about. Uh, what kind of cancer does he have? And then David Ferry tells me, well, he doesn't have cancer. He's perfectly healthy. He does look, though, uh, he's Cuban, and he's about the same age and, and uh, physical uh, characteristics that Castro has. I said, what? You mean you're going to take somebody who's healthy and inject them with this? And he's a volunteer? Well, he's on death row, you know, is what the answer was. And I was so upset. I mean, this is not long after Hitler, you know. We're talking about, I mean, I was ra I was born during the world. And so now I'm looking at this, I'm saying, I am not a follower of Hitlerian ideals. So I wrote a note to Oxner, and I said, you know, it's unethical to inject somebody or, you know, subject somebody to a, a disease that can kill them if they're unaware of it. And I put a little envelope and went to Oxner Clinic, gave it to the nurse. It was not her his usual nurse. She was on vacation. This is the end of August, it's 1963. This old biddy opens it up. And she said, "She said first, is this urgent?" I said, "Yes." So she opened it up and read it over the intercom. Ox, that was the end of my life as, as a cancer researcher. Yeah, you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I can imagine just the idea that you are working on such a weapon. Uh, I think the, the comfort that many researchers have is that they never meet the unfortunate victims of their experiments. I mean, only Megala, Mengele took pleasure, or at Dachau, where they were co-participating in something and really sort of enjoyed the process. But you, as a scientist, suddenly knowing that your stuff is going into an innocent man, uh, is just unbelievably brutal. We're talking to Judith Barry Baker, ex-girlfriend of Lee Harvey Oswald, the official assassin of John F. Kennedy. We're finding out that he, according to her, was not the assassin, was in fact on the payroll of the CIA and FBI all the way to the end. He, in fact, had uh, saved Kennedy's life uh, one, one time in Chicago by revealing that there was an assassination attempt, which did not happen there. And Kennedy was pulled out of that, but was pushed in to the same thing in Dallas. And the same warning was given, but that warning was ignored. And we now know the history. Let's finish, Judith Ferry Baker. Uh, I know you're on a, a mobile cell service here. There were some big mishaps in your bio labs. In fact, the largest group of missing monkeys, which had early versions of HIV that needed to be destroyed uh, so that the idea of HIV also could be destroyed. This is back in the 1960s. Well, the monkeys themselves, we, we moved from uh, mice to marmosets, which are low on the primate level, comparatively, and they're small and easy to handle. And from there, we went on to green monkeys, African green monkeys. By the way, the ones that survived were shipped back to Africa. That's not nice. Uh, probably uh, carried stuff with them. Uh, we had, uh, we have, a, I have a newspaper article showing that Tulane had to get 2,000 pounds more of monkeys because they why? Because we used up their monkeys during the summer. Uh, Tulane also had uh, one of the very few uh, centers in the United States where you could do monkey research. Of course, Tulane was where what I was associated with, as was David Ferry. And, of course, Lee Oswald himself said that he was going to Tulane. You can find that in some of the records. Actually, what we were doing with the monkeys is we have to 
uh, see if it works in them before we can. Uh, Cancer is going to kill mice, and they had we they had tumors the size of their own bodies in just a few days. That's how fast this worked. In monkeys, it took a longer time, but same effect. Within a month, they were dead. I mean, all of them were dead. And even the monkeys that were not inoculated, that were in the same room with them, died. That's how contagious the stuff was. Looks like we lost the connection. Uh, thought it might happen. We've been talking to Judith Very Baker. She is the uh, former ex-girlfriend of Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, she was involved in biological weapons developed project to assassinate Fidel Castro using weaponized cancer. Turns out she found that there were call it a cure for cancer, a fix for cancers, because when you're taking cancer apart and studying it with unlimited budgets through the federal government, you actually see what you're looking at. And she found that treating these, and I wish she were still here, with bacteriophages and other things, uh, sort of basically bacterias, viruses that can eat these things, um, maybe we'll find a way to, I'll tell you what, we'll put that, we'll make that available on RethinkingHeroes.com within a week. You'll be able to see uh, all of that information and material so that you can understand uh, the government's role in sort of how cancer works as well. But most importantly, take home what we learned today here on this anniversary of the JFK assassination. Questions will always remain. Nobody can actually say for sure. But now you've heard many, many different sides of a story. You've also heard firsthand eyewitnesses. Plus, you've had an investigative reporter earlier on break down piece by piece by piece. So uh, I don't think you could say you don't really know anymore. Now it's up to you to do your own investigation, as Walter Cronkite would have reminded us to do. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user, $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 855-525-7448-855-525-7448-855-525-7448. That's 855-525-7448. How would you like to get high-speed internet for your home for less than $2 a day? That's right. For about 50 bucks a month, you'll get lightning-fast internet. Are you paying less than 50 bucks a month right now for your internet? Then call Whole Home Connect right now for blazing-fast internet at 50 bucks a month with no price increases, no hidden fees, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. It's a 
great deal. And guess what? You can try it for 15 days. If you don't like it, you get your money back. But you're going to love it. And you're going to love the price. Internet for your home for 50 bucks a month. That's less than 2 bucks a day. Plus, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. And our 15-day guarantee. Call now. 800-846-2124 Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison Life After the Military RethinkingHeroes.com Copyright Audiences United LLC All rights reserved